0: doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in.
1: And good morning, everyone. This is Pat harridan uh from lockton uh benefits uh sitting in uh for a well-deserved day off from mike uh happy uh two days after uh saint patrick's day everyone hope everyone is well um as listeners know when i am hosting we talk about insurance employee benefits health care all those things and today is um today is no exception i have two guests uh first one um we'll talk to in a minute and in the second hour we're going to talk to a guest uh talking about uh, medicare which is another um sort of hot topic um but my first guest um i'll have him introduce himself to the listeners is uh, dr sanjay prasad good morning sanjay how are you
2: Oh, hello, Pat. Uh, pleasure to be on your show.
1: Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for for joining us, uh, Doctor. Um, so, Sanjay, just so the listeners can get a sense of your perspective, as I sort of ask you some questions in this hour. Um, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners so they they get an understanding of you and and what you've been doing uh, for your career? And I think that will that will help frame some of the responses and and the talk for the
2: hour. Uh, Thank you, Pat. Uh, I've been a practicing surgeon for 30 years in the Washington, D.C. area, and I was born in India, came here at the age of one in 1962, and we really came here, as my mom relates the story to me, about (laughs) six months ago, uh, searching for uh, a solution to a surgical problem in the family. Uh, And we traveled by ship, uh, a 30-day journey um, through the Suez Canal as she related to me. (laughs) Uh, We settled here in the Washington, D.C. area, uh, had our surgical, we found the surgeon and had the surgical problem uh, uh, taken care of. Uh, I became a surgeon uh, in the Washington, D.C. area, been practicing for 30 years, taking care of tens of thousands of patients and uh, uh, helping them with their journey.
1: Um, no, that's a remarkable uh, story. Um, so, Sanjay, so from your experiences being a surgeon, um, you ended up starting a company, um, Surgery Quality, at a high level, and I'll get into the details in a minute. What what is Surgery Quality, and what what do they do? How do they help uh, people and uh, employers?
2: So, the problems that I have seen uh, with patients. Uh, how they interact with their primary care provider and get referred to surgeons. Uh, The problem here, Pat, is that referral is not being made necessarily on the basis of cost, and especially not being made on the basis of quality and outcomes. So Surgery Quality um, endeavors to empower patients with smart, actionable data, intelligent information, uh, on surgical outcomes across an array of surgeons in their network. So patients can choose uh, the right surgeon uh, with the best outcomes for their condition, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, no, it does. Um, and let's just start literally at the beginning, um, and we're talking with um, uh, Sandrey Prasad, who's the uh, founder of uh, Surgery Quality, talking about um, surgeries. But when we talk surgery, um, in your uh, for your company and also for the the discussion, what are we talking about in terms of elective surgeries, doctor? Like, what what do you consider elective, and what's the best? If people out there have these, you know, referrals or these, you know, opinions to get a a surgery or a surgery, what what are the types of elective surgeries that that you guys help with?
2: I think when you use the word elective, people think uh, plastic surgery, <laughs> uh, surgery, something that's really uh, maybe not necessary, but you know, cosmetic surgery, aesthetic surgery. Uh, it's a word that uh, narrows the scope of surgical procedures. We we like to think of the surgeries that are uh, apt to. Uh, getting optimized in terms of referral as being non-urgent. And when you look at non-urgent surgeries, that encompasses, um, uh, and this is from research from writing my book, uh, 93% of all procedures are considered non-urgent and are amenable to this uh, referral process optimization, if you will. Hmm.
1: And what are, and you mentioned your book, uh, which I am actually... um, uh, getting some of my questions from it's called uh, resetting healthcare in the post COVID nineteen uh, pandemic. Um, so give us, give me a few examples, or where do you think? Give me like the top three or five, uh, Sanjay, that you know you you guys typically see that you can provide the most value for. What types of surgeries? So that our listeners can sort of understand. Because um, I've never, to be honest with you, I'm fifty four. I've never been recommended to have a have a surgery, nor have I had it, so i'm
2: I'm curious. The surgery span anywhere from uh, a colonoscopy, which I hope you had by now. oh, yes, I
1: had that. Uh, i didn't I didn't know that was a surgery, doctor, but thank you. yes, I have.
2: <laughs> even procedures as uh, low acuity, if you will, as colonoscopy or Um, You know, uh, uh, something like an appendectomy Mm -hmm. um, and something even more complicated, such as gallbladder surgery, uh, open heart surgery for heart valves, uh, intracranial aneurysms, uh, knee uh, joint replacement uh, treatments, uh, you know, ACL reconstructions, uh, all the orthopedic uh, uh, and, and it runs the span of all the specialties, if you will.
1: Yeah, so you're talking things like you know knee, hip, ankle, any type of like orthopedic back, lower back, or back. As I'm sure is a is a category. Are those the types that you're talking about?
2: Yeah, not just orthopedic, but also general surgery, neurosurgery, oh, okay, um, uh, ENT, ear, nose, and throat, otolaryngology. That's what uh, that's my, my specialty is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it runs the gambit
1: got it and we'll get back to it um in our second segment but just from a uh, a couple of comments how has covid sort of impacted the elective surgeries for people either you know positively or negatively uh now that we're we're sort of getting back to quote unquote normal
2: yeah you, you know as you as you may recall in uh you know, we had a pause in elective surgery scheduling mm-hmm. for quite some time. Uh, patients weren't allowed to, at one point, enter a hospital or leave their home, uh, and uh, patients were also fearful of having procedures. Uh, so there was a, a period of time when there was a pause in uh, elective surgery scheduling, um, and uh, and now there's. Uh, rescheduling of these many cases that have pent-up demand. Uh, So there is starting to uh, become an explosion of of cases that are being scheduled today.
1: And has that, have you seen that the I don't know the correct word, doctor, but you know, putting off an elective surgery um, is sometimes it could be good, I guess, if that person never needed it to begin with uh, or could have had an alternative treatment. But do you think that uh, some of these people that have, you know, for no fault of their own had to put off surgeries? Does that make the, the um, recovery or the surgery worse, or, or do we not know that yet?
2: Yeah, this pause really. Uh, we won't know the impact of uh, of what happened with uh, this pause yet, but um, certainly, you know, breast biopsies that weren't getting done, uh, mm-hmm. colonoscopies that weren't getting performed. Um, I, I'm sh- we're, we think that we'll see more advanced uh, stage cancers. Uh, you know, diagnoses at later conditions and uh, and more extent of disease, uh, but that the, the data still needs to be accumulated and analyzed.
1: Yep. Yeah. No. Makes makes perfect sense. Um, so and I'm trying to let's walk down sort of the patient here that that you and again we're talking with um Dr. Sanjay Prasad whose um uh company Surgery Quality helps uh helps people with um when they get the news that they sort of need surgery um and in your book um doctor you talk about sort of this patient not the parent but the patient trap uh can you just uh, explain it for those that haven't read the book, and sort of, and then we'll talk about how how you guys handle the, um, th- you know, getting these the patients through the the maze of trying to get opinions and sc- surgeries scheduled and all
2: that. Sure, Pat. Uh, typically, a, a patient has a condition, whether it's a tummy ache or a headache uh, or a, a joint pain, uh, whatever it might be, um, and they seek care, and they. usually go to their primary care physician, although many go to urgent care centers, Uh, many end up in the emergency room Mm -hmm. uh, uh, with the thought that it's something more serious than it might be. Uh, And the problem really is that referral that gets made uh, to the surgeon because that referral doesn't happen necessarily based on cost or quality or outcomes but it's really being made based on habit. Uh, and I wouldn't say that uh, primary care physicians aren't concerned, but they're also running on a treadmill. They're seeing uh, many patients, uh, in a, as many patients as they can within each hour that they work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're making hasty decisions uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, the digital technology can certainly help. In terms of optimizing
1: referral to the best outcome surgeon, and so from a from a historical perspective, um, you know, and also as you know, our healthcare system in the U.S. is built around um, you know referrals and referral circles and financial incentives, and again, I, I don't suspect that you know most uh, physicians make decisions for patient care that way but there is that overarching component um, out there would you uh, agree with that doctor?
2: The referrals are extremely important and I think even to take it even further patients end up in the surgeon's office Uh, there's uh, this uh, explanation of the type of condition they have uh, the fact that they need surgery, um, and patients kind of shut down. They don't really understand uh, much of what's being conveyed to them at the time. They're in a little bit of shock that they need a surgical procedure and have to undergo general anesthesia, um, and then they're shuttled from the examination room directly to the scheduler's office to have the procedure scheduled. Mm-hmm when in fact patients need to pause and rethink and ask difficult questions of the surgeon recommending surgery. Doctor, do I really need this surgery? Doctor, what would happen if I don't have the surgery? Doctor, are there other alternatives to surgery? Doctor, how many have you done? What is your success rate? What is your complication rate? (laughs) And what does a good outcome look like? What does a bad outcome look like? These are all the questions that patients need answers to, and they're not getting today, and that's that's what we're doing. We're empowering patients with intelligent information so they can make well-informed choices. It makes a ton of sense to us.
1: Got it, all right, so I wanna to get to sort of how you do and what you do, but just talk if you could um doctor just about cuz i do i do see these a lot um in your book you talk about some of the myths around um the medical facilities And as you know our audience up here is primarily you know eastern massachusetts where you know we tend to think and say we have the best hospitals and and physicians in the world um and what, what sort of are some of the myths that you and your team help people uh, sort of either understand or, or sort of um, debunk, if you will?
2: Well, there, there are many myths. Uh, and, and people take tremendous pride uh, over the hospitals uh, in their communities. Uh, you know, they're growing. Uh, they're a prominent uh pillar of their community and their society, and we certainly understand that. But this leap that a name-brand institution necessarily connotes uh, high-quality, high outcomes is a giant leap, uh, and we're, we're trying to bring some sense Um, and powerful information uh, to patients so they can make well-informed choices. Uh, That's what we're doing. And in my book, I elaborate on a uh, very interesting situation where there was a surgeon who, in an academic setting, uh, who was doing uh, quite a few gallbladder surgeries. Uh, He was getting referred uh, these operations and these patients uh, from all over the world. Um, and the surgeon, it's really interesting, was getting a little bit more bleeding during uh, the procedure. And the procedure is done through scopes in the abdomen uh, with some uh, incisions and uh, uh, to look at the anatomic structures. Uh, but this particular surgeon had a little bit more bleeding than the average and normal surgeon. Well, it was very interesting that over time, uh, the patients required transfusions uh, which was really unheard of for a uh, gallbladder surgery for most of gallbladder surgery um, and the patients were uh, you know subjected to uh, these unnecessary transfusions and the hospitals also made some accommodations with having more experienced anesthesia staff um, manning his cases very interesting what was happening until one patient died on the operating room table. Um, and then there was a massive review of uh, what happened. It turns out this surgeon trained at a time uh, when gallbladder surgery was done through an open incision, a long incision uh, across the abdomen, uh, I, and really did not train with uh, laparoscopes or uh, scope technology, and he learned that uh, secondarily. So it's very interesting how patients may think they're getting the best care at name brand institutions, but they really don't know what they're getting in terms of outcomes.
1: And um, in our second segment, I want to ask about outcomes and quality, but let's just deal before, um, before our first break, because I think this is a good one too, because uh, this is a difficult one. What about um, the sort of cost of care, doctor? In other words, you know, most people are emotional rather than rational when it comes to healthcare, um, you know, higher price means higher quality. How, how does that factor into these decisions? And what have you found in sort of looking at you know this over over your career?
2: Surprisingly, uh, cost and quality simply don't relate. Um, uh, higher cost does not necessarily mean higher quality and best outcomes, and, and vice versa. Uh, so there really is no relationship, and clearly. Uh, Surgical care in a hospital setting is much more expensive than surgical care in an ambulatory surgical uh, care center uh, setting. Um, And the infection rates are very different. Uh, Infection rates are historically higher in hospital settings uh, than they are in surgery center settings. So it makes a ton of sense to do many of these procedures in surgery center setting. Uh, settings uh, to reduce uh, infection rate um, and also to reduce cost. It just makes uh, so much sense to us.
1: And doctor, from a because um, you do, you're a practicing physician, how did this, you know, because it's the same, in my mind anyway, again, this is the layperson. If I have the same doctor performing the surgery, how does the setting factor in to the cost? Like in other words, if I'm at you know, a freestanding surgery center where that person's doing nothing but surgeries or I go inpatient hospital, where's the sort of, what's the difference uh, to me, the patient, or how do I rationalize that, I guess?
2: Well, for the patient, it's all about plan design. So uh, if there's a plan design that uh, financially incents employees Uh, with uh, going to surgery centers, uh, that's probably the best situation where everyone wins. It just makes, it's it's all about plan design. Mm -hmm.
1: And from a um, um, I guess, uh, how would, absent your solution you know, which we'll talk about how would a patient know where um, or how would they be, how would they know any of this information on their own? You know, we have a lot of Google doctors out there, I'm sure now, <laughs> doctor. But how how would people do? People is this information out there um, for like public to, to look at, or how would would they even know where to look? I guess
2: the uh, the internet has a lot of information about surgeons and their backgrounds and the types of procedures they do and how to make an appointment. Uh, but very little information is found on uh, their past experience, the number of cases they performed, uh, success measures, complication measures, and how they compare to their peers and national registries and published norms. Uh, that information is just not available.
1: And so, um, so for your and again, we're talking with uh, Dr. Sanjay Prasad. Um, and, Dr., can you give out your? Um I just don't have it in front of me, I apologize. Just give out your website so people know what we're, um, wh- who we're talking about and what we're talking about, if you could.
2: Yeah, I'm Dr. Sanjay Prasad. I'm the founder and CEO of Surgi um S-U-R-G-I Quality, and you can find us at uh, www.surgiquality.com great
1: um so i want to start the conversation now so your solution because again in, when uh, you know our clients you know my in my world our clients are you know employers um who are offering employee benefits to their employees so your solution how does your solution work from the employer side and then we'll get to the employee side after our our first break
2: our typical client, uh, employer client, is self-insured for their health plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we work with uh, self-insured employers uh, to get the platform into their system. Um, uh, and employers can, can find us on our website, and we're happy to engage with them with their um, locked-in broker. Um, you know, that's how they find us.
1: Got it. And when you say, um, just for our people out there who may work for employers, we have business owners, employees, um, you would, um, if you work for an employer, typically that's a larger employer, those are the ones that would be um, self-insured. Those are... Those are employers that have um, the financial, you know, stability, but also the risk tolerance to um, provide insurance um, outside of an insurance company. They may use a, a network um, of one of the health plans, but they're they're able to customize their plan, add uh, features like. Surge quality and others, um, but they're taking the risk, and the benefit to the employer obviously is, um, you know, lower cost, better outcomes. In addition to obviously the the benefits to the um, to the actual uh, member from a, um, a cost perspective. Um, so, uh, one question before our break, um, Doctor from a excuse me from an employer perspective is this something that's easy to um to sort of implement i guess is the best word
2: uh, it's, it's quite seamless, uh, Pat. Uh, it works really well uh, at renewal time. Uh, we offer uh, a no-cost uh, solution for the employer to have this kind of uh, uh, endeavor. So uh, we're happy to work with any of the self-insured employers, uh, big or small.
1: Got it. All right, so after the break, we're going to talk about how this works from the member side of things. And we'll talk about that after the break. And good morning, everyone. This is uh, the McNamara on Money uh, talk radio show. This is Pat and I am sitting in for Mike, who is off today. Um, as listeners know, when I am on, we talk about insurance and employee benefits, health care, and today, no exception. Um, my guest for the first hour is and has been uh, Dr. Sanjay Prasad. He is um, the founder of Surgi Quality. And we've been talking. Oh, and also you mentioned, and I mentioned, uh, Doctor, your your book, uh, Resetting Healthcare. Is that available on Amazon for people who want to read it?
2: Yes. Uh, and the title is Resetting uh, uh, Healthcare Post-COVID-19 Pandemic, uh, The Patient Handbook. Got it. So the book is written uh, for the patients in layman's language, uh, easily easy to understand, and available at uh, Amazon and Barnes & Noble
1: got it no thank you uh i have one in front of me and i am it is very easy and very it's written very well um so before the break we were talking about just in general sort of your journey um the issues that are in the the healthcare system around what we are con- talking about elective surgeries and then from the employer side obviously you know if it's something that your employer offers um Again, usually, typically, large employers would offer this. So, let's talk, um, Doctor, from a patient standpoint. If this if this program is in place, uh, what happens? Like, take us through a little bit, and I'll ask some other questions. But sort of, the the member has this knows they have this program at their employer. They're at their primary care, as you mentioned, and they're getting their you know, annual exam or it's a sick visit. Um, what happens if they're told they need one of the elective procedures? What should they do and, and how do you guys help the patient?
2: Well, the, the point of care starts really in the primary care physician office. Uh, and when uh, the primary care sees, for example, a, a mass on the thyroid gland in front of the neck, um, and the patient obviously needs surgery. Uh, there's an alert that comes up on their uh, electronic medical record, uh, you know, to connect uh, our concierge service uh, to the patient. So the patient gets a text message for uh, welcoming them to the surgery quality network, and a personalized concierge um, handholds them through the process uh, to the point where They need to sign uh, a HIPAA release that uh, gives us access to their medical records. Uh, We source their medical records and their imaging. Uh, We send them to the cloud in a HIPAA-compliant, safe and secure manner. Um, And then we send these medical records to qualified surgeons in their network, uh, all board certified, uh, pre-qualified. We check their malpractice history, uh, and they've indicated their areas of interest and we connect their case to uh, areas of interest under multiple specialties if that makes sense uh, the surgeons then review their case uh, they validate necessity uh, number one uh, and they also indicate uh, the number their past experience such as number of cases they've done uh, of, of that type uh, success measures complication measures uh, we take that information we uh, compare it uh, against their peers, um, against national registries and published norms, and score them. Uh, and the patient gets back, after all this magic has happened, uh, a list of surgeons who have reviewed their case, uh, who validated necessity, so important, uh, and they can pick and choose their surgeon based on success and complication rates uh, across an array of surgeons in their network. Um, and we're just empowering patients with smart, actionable, intelligent information uh, so they make more informed choices.
1: And, Doctor, I literally have like 10 questions from that answer, but I'll I'll only give you a few. Uh, First one is, just so everyone knows, because as I'm sure you know, and I I hear this all the time, uh, you mentioned HIPAA. I think everyone knows, everyone has heard that term. No one really knows what it means, and it's probably the most misquoted and miscited Uh, regulation or law but can you just explain sort of how HIPAA is important in your process and what it does for the patient?
2: Well it's so important to protect um, uh, the patient's uh, privacy um, and their data Uh, and if there are, you know uh, errors in the data the patients have an ability to um, uh, yield a correction Uh, And the patients have total control of their information, but that information also has to be protected and kept very secure uh, within uh, the environment that it finds itself. So it may be on a server, uh, it may be in the cloud, uh, it may sit uh, on a surgeon's app, for example, uh, but it all has to be safe and secure.
1: Yeah and now obviously that's important when you know people get get concerned about their medical history especially in an employer plan and obviously you know in my world we always you know tell the, the patients and the and their family members that none of this information ever gets back to the um to the employer or the plan sponsor it's once it's uh once it's with the between the employee and the um and the um provider um the second thing you mentioned is which i find surprising but maybe not is you i think you used it um doctor evaluate or agreed with the necessity or something like that in other words there so in what situation or does how often does it happen that someone recommends surgery that another doctor or maybe another team of doctors says it's not needed and what would what would precipitate that what would be the issue
2: So, depending on specialty, it's alarming to know that 15 to 30 percent of all procedures currently being performed in the United States today are unnecessary. And in fact, when I was talking to uh, one of my orthopedic colleagues uh, in the great state of Texas, he was telling me that 80 percent of spine surgery done in Texas is unnecessary. It's jaw dropping, it's alarming. Uh, and you have to wonder what we're doing. And you also have to remember that the third leading cause of death in this country is medical errors. Hmm. So the current system of referrals is allowing for unnecessary surgeries. Patients are also getting connected to surgeons who don't necessarily have the best outcomes. Uh, they're having infections, they're having wrong sized implants inserted. Uh, they're having a, a whole host of other complications, and then needing revision surgery uh, to correct the problem. So, uh, this is a huge problem in this country. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I wasn't aware. How, do you have a, you know, top of your head, or, or just in general, um, doctor? Like, how many of the patients, you know, that you have gone through your program? You know, have come in saying, "Hey, I have been recommended to have surgery and don't. like is it of is it like five percent, ten, or do you have a sense on the stat?
2: It's about thirty uh, percent, Pat, it's wow. really quite impressive. Hmm. Uh, and you know these patients also never learned of alternatives to surgery. So let me give you an example. Yes. Um, a patient with a colon tumor who has seen a colorectal surgeon, uh and it's being recommended to have half their colon removed uh a, a procedure called hemicolectomy uh this requires inpatient hospital stay um with the potential for leakage and uh you know increased ICU stay for example um very high cost we're connecting that case that is colon tumor to other specialists that have the same area of interest So these patients can also be managed by gastroenterologists, uh, interventional gastroenterologists, if you will, uh, and they can remove these tumors now through a colonoscope uh, using something called uh, EMR or endomucosal resection techniques. Uh, And for a tenth of the cost, um, the patient goes back to work the next day or the day after, uh, very low morbidity, near zero mortality risk, it just makes a ton of sense. This is what happens when you can move medical records around in a safe and secure way um, at the speed of electrons and get them in the hands of multiple specialists uh, who uh, take care of the same condition.
1: Mm. And and again, I I want people to focus on the right thing. Obviously, you know we're all concerned about the cost of healthcare, but this program isn't simply a cost um, cost savings. Although that's a a a healthy outcome of this but you talked about sort of quality and outcomes how do you um, and surgery quality doctor how do you guys sort of measure quality because it seems like you know sort of nebulous but maybe not uh, and then also we'll talk about outcomes after but how do you measure sort of quality for a surgeon
2: well we look at uh, the common procedures that a surgeon does and we've come up with success and complication measures. Um, And we take uh, the data reported from the surgeon uh, and we are able to, uh, through AI powered technology, uh, corroborate that data with their electronic medical record. Uh, So once we have this corroborated information, uh, then we have an algorithm uh, where we score surgeons against their peers uh, and against uh, published
0: norms.
1: And from a, what do you find, uh, I know you mentioned earlier on that there may be an inverse relationship, but it doesn't necessarily mean that a higher quality uh, physician or surgery center is necessarily the highest cost or vice versa, correct?
2: It's very true. And for something as simple as colonoscopy, we're looking at something called uh, adenoma detection rate, This is a very interesting uh, quality measure for colonoscopy. Um, It's established, well established by the American College of uh, Gastroenterology. Um, And it is a uh, detection rate. That is, how often does a gastroenterologist find a tumor uh, when he performs a colonoscopy? And the rate should be 25% or greater, because if it's anything less than that, Uh, The gastroenterologist is doing 18 to 20 colonoscopies in a morning, uh, very fast, missing tumors. And we all know that a missed colonic tumor can lead to liver metastases, uh, liver resection, all sorts of other liver transplant surgery, all sorts of other issues, chemotherapy and radiation, um, and all sorts of other costs. So something as uh, simple as a colonoscopy uh, it's extremely important to be looking at uh, adenoma detection
1: rate. And you mentioned uh, outcomes. What in you know for the lay people what uh, what are outcomes? How do you measure them? And and what have you found in your um, experience in terms of outcomes measurement relating back to you know the quality and cost piece.
2: Well, the outcomes are obviously, uh, you know, how often is the condition cured? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, if it's a thyroid tumor or malignancy um, and the outcome is, you know, obviously the cancer is gone. Uh, So, in terms of joint uh, pain, uh, knee replacement, uh, and it's all about getting rid of the pain uh, and how often that happens. uh, These are just uh, amelioration of their symptoms is uh, a measure of
1: outcomes. And from a, um, you know, I guess rating or, I don't know, uh, whatever the whatever the sort of um, the ratings that people have of uh, physicians or surgeons, do you guys weight, um, you know, any one factor more? Is it just an equal? They've got to meet certain, you mentioned sort of the board certification and all that, but from a you know, cost quality and outcomes measurement. How do you guys, use, do you have a model for a formula or how do you guys sort of rank or select your uh, providers?
2: So uh, what we ask of uh, surgeons is uh, that they meet uh, what's uh, in the published norm. Uh, so if they, as long as they have uh, outcomes measures that are in line with published norms, they usually achieve the highest score uh, and, you know, surgeons who don't have uh, or haven't looked at their data, uh, this is a, a call to action for them to start looking at their you know last year's data and looking at the outcomes that they're doing. And this is not in a way to demonize uh, surgeons in any way using data. This is a platform to help surgeons uh, achieve, uh, you know, better uh, quality. Uh, so it, it, it's an it's an effort to get them to rethink about what they're doing, maybe get some more proctoring, uh, maybe get some more training and booster quality measures so they get back on our platform. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And everything you're talking about as I'm thinking, I'm sitting here looking at Tim looking equally confused um, but how does uh, so you mentioned sort of the enter of the the entrance of a member into the program um Sanjay. so all of this stuff, you know, cost, quality, picking, asking questions, what does your, how do your, um, I think you called them concierge uh, folks, what do they do to help the member through the process? You know, from either, hey, if it's a, if it's a go, do they help with the scheduling and follow-up? Or if it's a no-go, do they, uh, you know, if they don't recommend surgery, do they recommend other providers? Sort of from the member side of things, how, how, how's the support handled?
2: Yeah, it, so the the whole service is predicated on compassionate care uh, and hand-holding from our personalized concierge service. Um, Jack Nelson runs our service. He um, was the former COO for Coventry Healthcare, as well as uh, held a similar uh, position at Care First, Blue Cross Blue Shield. Uh, you know, so Jack has a whole algorithm on how to... Um, Uh, manage patients, but basically they're handheld from the moment they're told they need surgery uh, through the process of delivering the information. um, And uh, we help them, we help patients guide them through the process and uh, make appropriate choices.
1: And from a um, sort of uh, follow-up perspective, because again this you're sort of inserting yourself into the delivery system for care for the patient sort of how is that like from a follow-up perspective I don't know some of these surgeries obviously require therapy after or or something does, does your service continue after the surgery is complete or the the non-surgery is complete or how does that sort of follow up how do you measure i guess the success of the program do you do some follow-up with the patients as well
2: yes so the concierge helps them schedule the procedure uh, coordinate the physical therapy uh, essentially we handhold the patient until they're back to work
1: got it and from a um, uh, I guess a seamlessness perspective so again we're in our, in our theory this morning we've been talking about Your program being put in by the employer to help the employees and their families, the member, when they get notified, they call them and sort of it runs separate, you know, you integrate with the health plan. So obviously um, what I'm trying to sort of demonstrate is, you know, because you're brought in by the employer you would know the underlying health plan the networks the plan design and all that in the installation process in other words because we have a lot of talk doctor obviously with the recent legislation and news reports about these out of network and surprise medical bills and all that so i just wanted to convey or can you convey how you work with the employer's health plan you mentioned it earlier but just to reinforce
2: yeah, the denominator of surgeons that we send the cases to are within the patient's network. Uh, so we try to minimize the out-of-network exposure to the patient. Uh, it just makes so much sense uh, fiscally to us.
1: Right. In other words, so if, the, if your particular um, health plan is a Blue Cross plan, your concierge would know the surgeons that are in that network so that whatever that plan design is, from a deductible or co-insurance, they would be considered in network. Um, again, that's Im- more important now because, as you know, um, a lot of our a lot of our employer clients need to educate the their employees and their families about out-of-network providers. Because, as you mentioned, sometimes the referring provider doesn't know what health plan you have, and they're just they're making referral decisions based on hospital affiliation i think you mentioned habit that's probably a great word um but also just others in their building sometimes i've been in medical facilities where the scheduling or the surgeon (laughs) the surgeon decision is based on where the person lived in other words they said well where do you live and we'll schedule you with someone closer to your home um so again we've come a long way it seems doctor
2: no question. And digital technology is there today to make that whole referral process just so much better uh, for, uh, for the patient. It just makes so much sense to us.
1: And is there anything... I want to do two things before. I want to see if I can squeeze two things in. One thing um, I do want to talk about just a little bit more about the COVID piece um, is there anything different that people should do either because of COVID or now that we're emerging from COVID, whether it's from a surgical, from a primary care? You did mention that, um, you know, it should start at the primary care uh, office. But even in the Northeast here in New England, we still have a large percentage of people who are getting their care. And we saw this obviously get trying to get their vaccines and all that. We saw it, you know, going to urgent care or some of these pop-up clinics or even the the ED uh, for their their care. What should people do like in a perfect post-COVID world?
2: Well, in a perfect post-COVID world, (laughs) everyone has a primary care physician uh, that uh, helps triage uh, their care and coordinate their care appropriately. Um, You know, many patients get their care from urgent care centers um there will be a metamorphosis i think uh with uh with assigning uh, primary care physicians to patients uh it's it there's so many different avenues and ways we can go with this
1: and from a um just from a pure health perspective um you mentioned that during covid people were Either they couldn't or telemedicine. How does telemedicine, I guess, or the, the ability to see a physician, is that helpful? You mentioned uh, that a lot of your reviews, uh, Doctor, are done sort of in the cloud. Is this something that, you know, again, if we go backwards or, or people are, you know, can't travel to these different um, sort of uh, consulting physicians, is that something that is telemedicine a big part of your? Service, or is it just the review independently of the physicians with these
2: medical records? So, when the patients get back a list of surgeons that have reviewed their case, uh, they're free to uh, schedule a virtual visit with any of the surgeons. Um, It just makes uh, a lot of sense to us uh, to have free communication. Uh, Patients get, uh, you know, their anxieties lessened. Uh, they get to know the surgeon. Uh, I think these, this is so important, and it's, it's so exciting that uh, you know, telemedicine has taken off post COVID.
1: Yeah, and, and when we talk telemedicine, we mean you know the ability to see a physician, literally see a physician <laughs> on uh, on your screen or on your phone and talk. Obviously, there are some limitations to the to the whole telemedicine um, um, aspect, but from a review, if we can, and I don't know. How the medical records? You know what percentage of the country? Oh, you may know, doctor. What you know? What percentage of the, of the country has you know a good electronic medical records system? I'm I'm guessing here in the East we're probably more advanced than other parts, or is that not true?
2: Well, I think through meaningful use, nearly uh, nearly every uh, surgical office. Uh, is using electronic medical records, and huh. some are using servers uh, in locally in their practice, but mostly are they're, they're migrating to the cloud uh, in exponential ways, so uh, it's happening. And, um, you know, this kind of service was not possible five, 10 years ago, right? simply because we didn't have uh, the infrastructure, the technology infrastructure to manage uh, HIPAA compliant, you know, a HIPAA compliant system to move medical records around. But now we have that, and it's safe and secure. There's no reason why we shouldn't use it.
1: Right, and and like I, I think people uh, again, you know, there there are some positive outcomes of the of the pandemic, and I think one of them has been the trust now in the telemedicine that was didn't exist prior because people didn't think they could get you know healthcare, and now with electronic prescribing and you know some of the other um uh, and now mail order I mean you could literally see a doctor and and get your prescriptions without leaving your without leaving your home now it's a, it's quite amazing um last thing I wanted to ask you doctor is you gave one example but is there another uh, just a case study of something where you feel the value of the surgical quality sort of your your system and your program really helped out, whether it's either someone didn't get a surgery that they were asked to or got a surgery and had a better outcome. Is there one that stands out for you um, that sort of demonstrates the value of the program?
2: Yeah, we had a um, very interesting case study. We had a business owner um, in Wyoming who is a head of the household, uh, family of four, who developed a seizure one evening, um, ended up having an MRI scan in the uh, emergency room uh, and they found a a lesion uh, a white lesion in the brain in in an area called temporal the temporal lobe um and uh they managed this for a while thinking it was a tumor he was being referred to an academic center for um excision of this tumor uh uh, so-called tumor We, and, and in fact we heard about this case on a friday he was scheduled for surgery following friday Mm. um we sent this case out to multiple surgeons in our network uh very prominent academic uh and non-academic neurosurgeons reported back that uh you should stop and repeat the mri scan because this is a viral infection uh of the of the brain Mm. Uh, sure enough we repeated the mri scan and the lesion disappeared And the patient didn't need to have the surgery. And you know, here he was mortified. He was making life plans with life insurance and disability, and uh, you know, making plans for his kids. Uh, you know, and here he was about to have a procedure he really didn't need.
1: Right, and and uh, it, w- it would have been brain surgery, right? Literally.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we're talking. And we talk about financials. I mean, it's probably six figures. Um, but, you know, think about uh, the, all the side effects and the uh, adverse outcomes from having craniotomy surgery you don't need. Um, it just makes so much sense to use a platform like ours.
1: Right. And, and, and that example, uh, Sandra, it's more about, you know, when, if you don't want to, if you don't need brain surgery, it's not something you should get. <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to the, as opposed to the the financial piece. No, that's great uh, great story. Um, Sandra, can you give I want you to give out your um, the website and then uh, the book uh, again for those people who want to uh, learn more about you and your uh, book and firm.
2: Sure. Uh, you can uh, uh, reach out to us at com. Uh, and happy to talk to you. Um, if you want to email me directly, you can. It's S. Prasad, S-P-R-A-S-A-D, at Uh and you can find Resetting Healthcare uh, Post-COVID-19 Pandemic, uh, The Patient Handbook, at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Uh, you can reach out to me, and I'll be happy to get you a complimentary copy if you so desire.
1: Great, and you may even... You didn't... Uh sign mine but you may sign them for our listeners right sure happy to do that sanjay uh dr prasad thank you very much very good uh discussion i appreciate it and uh hopefully our listeners did too but have a good day sanjay thank you thank you so much thank you bye-bye